Time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. This is going to be a weird pro- <laughs> program. Oh. Where do I start today? At the beginning? I should start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Man biffed it, and now we're all sold in sin. Uh, you ever stop to think that our default mode when it comes to religion is really, really whacked out? No, I mean, really messed up. Yeah. And the problem is is that the uh, what's passing for Christianity nowadays isn't really moving beyond what our natural default religion is. We've uh, many sectors of American Christianity have lost sight of the fact that we have a specific and special revelation from God called the Bible that we're supposed to be preaching. <clears throat> but what do I know? I just work here. <laughs> I'm just a uh, <clears throat> well, never mind. I've been called many names. I shouldn't mention them on the air. Um, here's an email. This, this is an email that I got from uh, Jack Marshall from Rochester, Minnesota, Minnesota. And uh, this is exactly the right kind of email. I like it when people write me and they challenge me and they put some thought into it. And so, um, one of the things you're going to hear me say on this program, and I'm going to say it over and over and over and over again is don't take Rose Bro's word for it. Test everything that I say According to the scriptures, because you know what? I'm just a sinful, screwed up human being, and uh, I don't have any. Sp- God doesn't talk to me directly. Can you believe that? You know, I, I don't. <laughs> Some of you are going, uh, yes, we can believe that, Chris. We've heard your radio show before. Uh, we would be worried if God was giving Chris Rosebro direct revelation. So here's it. I don't get any direct revelation. So. I may be wrong. In fact, I, I might actually interpret something incorrectly. And so, uh, and Jack from uh, Rochester, Minnesota writes, and he calls me Mr. Rosebro. You know, see, respectful, you know. And I think the polite thing to do in American culture when somebody calls you Mr. Rosebro, you're supposed to say, oh, don't call me that. That's what my, that's my father. <laughs> you know what? It's time for me to just don the title. I am Mr. Rosebro and Jack, I appreciate your uh your respect in your email. And here's the deal, he challenges me, he does it thoughtfully, and I'm going to read this email cuz I this is just the type of thing that absolutely I love. Love it when people say, "Hey, wait a second. Let me uh let me take issue with something that you said." All right, it says, uh, "Mr. Rosebro, I have been enjoying your radio show and really appreciate your biblical worldview." I will admit that I do have concerns, at least for myself, with tuning, uh, turning to secular music instead of Christian music. The reason I say this is because after having spent years listening constantly to secular heavy metal music, I found that I could not listen to it without falling back into sin. I know it sounds like a cop-out, but for me, the more I listened to secular heavy metal, uh, the more I found myself falling into my old ways. One option might be to not listen to music, but I believe God placed in us a need for music. I'm glad you preface that as you think that that's what you know. You're not preaching here; that's just your opinion. And I will admit that I uh, that that I do have to be very discerning regarding the bands, artists that I listen uh, 
that that I listen to and appreciate. The ones I enjoy the most are those that have a very clear praise album or songs, uh, which clearly glorify God and make him more important than me. In addition, I watch what the bands say on their websites and lyrics to ensure that I am understanding what they say from a biblical perspective. There are some Christian bands, he puts out in quotes, including uh, one I noted recently in a Christian music festival I attended recently, which do not appear to be any different from the uh, secular bands that I listen to. This really concerns me, that these bands would even have a, quote, Christian label because the bands should be different from what the world has to offer in lyrics and the content of their stage show. So I do know how discerning I must be for the sake of my boys. I will also admit that I have a very uh, biblical radio station that spends as much time bringing great radio programs such as Grace to You with John MacArthur as bringing music. And he says, uh, and he says, I'm curious regarding your thoughts on uh, Praise Guitar Hero coming out. It sounded like you felt it was silly to market to Christians. However, for myself, because my sons know I have always enjoyed edgier music than most, i.e. loud guitars and drums, they have picked this up for me. Thus, uh, thusly, my boy, thusly, wow, he uses the word thusly in a sentence. I, when was the last, I can't remember the last time I word, used the word thusly. <clears throat> thusly, my boys have been uh, begging me to get Guitar Hero, and I have steadfastly refused to purchase it for the reason that I would possibly lead me, that would possibly lead me to sin as well as my boys. The idea of praise guitar interests me. Uh, praise guitar hero interests me as, while again I need to be very discerning. I am always uh, pleased to talk with my boys about biblical theology, and why certain bands slash lyrics, including Christian bands, do not match what I teach them at home. However, I do feel I need an alternative to what the world offers, even if I have to weed through the garbage to get uh, to the fruit so that I can avoid stumbling. Is it wrong to look at the uh, music or praise Guitar Hero as acceptable alternatives to what has been uh, what has previously caused me to stumble? Just curious on your thoughts regarding this from the point of view from my situation. Thank you again for your radio program. I have been enjoying it and learning much from it. Jack, thank you for the great email. You bring up some good, 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 good points. Here's the deal. All right. Christian music or secular music. This falls under the category of Christian liberty. One way or another, that's really what it boils down to. There is no commandment, there is no 11th or 12th commandment that says, thou shalt only listen to Christian music. Okay. Now, some people would say there's biblical principles at play here that have to do with sanctification as far as filling our mind with truth and things that are good. And um, I think the garbage in, garbage out principle definitely applies. And so um, the idea here is is that um, this falls under the category of Christian liberty. And now I'm going to tell you for myself personally, um, there are just certain secular artists that I cannot listen to. And I don't judge other people because they listen to it, but um, there are just certain people, certain artists— um, they have become icons for what I consider to be just disgusting anti-Christian messages. For instance, Madonna. Um, you know, I grew up during the 80s and so have seen Madonna's uh, different incarnations over the years. And if if I'm ever listening to a radio station and a Madonna song comes on, the first thing I do is I switch the station. And usually I do it in anger because <laughs> I cannot stand her. Um so, uh, you know, so th there's certain things, you know, that I can't listen to or won't listen to. And basically what it comes down to is in, in the area of Christian liberty, 
is uh, can you do it in faith without a guilty conscience is what it comes down to. And um, let me read to you a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the holiness and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered as a sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of your conscience. I do not mean your con- I do not mean your conscience, but for his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which for which I give thanks? So basically the principle at play here is, is that, you know, and this has to do with the idea of what do you do with food sacrificed to idols? Um, uh, the answer is um, that depends. <laughs> you can go to the, you know, because an idol is nothing in the world, right? And um, I think that's First Corinthians 8, if I'm not mistaken. Idol is nothing in the world. And all things, uh, here, here we go, First Corinthians chapter 8. This is just a follow-up to this. I'm going backwards to the book. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not uh, yet know as he ought. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And although there are many so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things uh, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Uh, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do it. But take care uh, uh, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees uh, you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, uh, the brother for whom Christ has died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So this, I think this, this passage, even though it's not dealing with secular music versus uh, so-called Christian music, is important. Okay, so I would say that uh, where, uh, you know, Christians, we have the liberty to listen to secular music or not to listen to secular music. And that's based upon the idea of what can your conscience bear? Okay, personally, there's certain things that I, you know, just can't listen to, won't listen to. And uh, as you pointed out, Jack, um, if you listen to some of that music that you used to listen to, it it, it tend it it decays your mind and leads you back into sin by all means avoid that type of music and you're wise to instruct your your children to do the same okay now um so i'm I'm not giving some kind of a carte carte blanche approval of all kinds of uh secular music the idea here is is that uh rule of faith and what does your conscience say you know there's certain lyrics i just can't sing um What's you know you know what's really funny is is that a, a good example would be Sting's uh, "Every Breath You Take." Now, 
before I knew what that song was about, I loved that song. That was a great song. Every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. I think that's a great song, man. Love that song. And then somebody told me, yeah, it's about a stalker. <laughs> well, that just ruined it for me. <laughs> and from that time forward, I yeah, that's not a song that I enjoy listening to. Now, my own personal music tastes are all over the board. I like, um, right now I'm going through a Yo-Yo Ma phase. Uh, the, the cello Concertos for Bach by Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, man, is that good. Um, so, <laughs> but I listen to a, a very broad spectrum of music, and the music I listen to is secular as well as some Christian. And when it comes to Christian music, you know, here's what it boils down to. Is Christ the one glorified? Is that person um, singing stuff that is theologically and doctrinally correct? Is there enough Christian content to fill a gnat's navel? You know, if all it is 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 a Karen Carpenter love song that's rehashed, you know, to somehow sort of kind of be addressing Jesus, that's the kind of stuff that will send me over the edge and, and cause me to flame out in the middle of my car. <laughs> Yes, it's true. I blame out. But uh, so, again, this this falls under the, the clearly this falls under the area of conscience. Let, uh, you know, let your let your faith and your conscience guide you in these things. And if you can't do it without sinning, then don't do it. And if you can't, if you and if you if you're listening to music that would cause another brother to stumble, then don't listen to that either. You know, at least not in your in your brother's presence. You don't want to cause him to, to fall. You gotta, we got to take care of each other as Christians. You know, that's the one thing, you know, we need to do. We need to love each other and understand that there are some who are weak among us and some who are not. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, those who are weak that we shouldn't rattle their cages every now and then to, you know, say, hey, listen, it's time for you to grow up a little bit. But again, this there's no hard and fast rule, so this falls under the area of faith and conscience. So, Jack, thanks for, uh, for emailing. Regarding uh, Christian praise guitar hero, my big beef with it, you know what? It's probably clean. It's probably wholesome. I uh, can't stand uh, some of the music because I already know some of the music is contains false doctrine. Um, you know, my kids have they have played Guitar Hero, but we don't own it. Um, you know, but as far as Christian praise Guitar Hero, again, it's a matter of conscience. I don't like it just because I'm sick and tired of the monkey see monkey do thing going on in Christianity today. You know, why Why do we need a Christian version of Guitar Hero? You know, that's, you know, because the world has their version, so we have to have ours. It just is ridiculous, if you ask me. That's that's my big beef with it. You know, tired of the monkey see, monkey do. All right. We got a news story we need to uh, cover. This was an interesting one that was in the uh, Wall Street dur- Journal yesterday. And so, uh, you know, we need to get right to it. by Terry Eastland from uh, the Wall Street Journal commenting or reporting on the book by Julia Dewin Julia Dewin I don't know if I'm saying that right Julia if you're listening you can, and I said your name wrong you can email me a talkback at fightingforthefaith.com the name of the book is called Quitting Church the name of the book is called Quitting Church and uh, Julia has some very interesting things to uh, say in her book quitting church and ask the question why the faithful are fleeing and what to do about it <laughs> okay all right so uh, let me read this uh, this was in yesterday's uh, wall street journal 
And uh, you can read it online at WSJ.com, but you need to have a subscription to be able to read it. Wall Street Journal is not a free site. So it says, um, here's what, uh, it's called Quitting Church by Julia Dewin. By now we know that evangelical Protestants generally supportive of Republican are generally supportive of Republican candidates, but eagerly courted by Democrats this year. These are uh, these uh, evangelicals are a crucial voting block in no, in the November election. Thus, it was big news when Rick Warren, the evangelical megachurch pastor, recently asked both John McCain and Barack Obama about their religious beliefs, and in part to address the concerns of the church-going value voters. Uh, value voters, but. What about the evangelicals themselves? Is all well with their communities? Is their own passion for church going as strong as their supposed political passion? That's a good question. Julia would actually argue no. According to Julia Dewan, a religion reporter for the Washington Times, Washington Times is a conservative outfit, by the way, not to be confused with the Washington Post, which is a socialist rag. Um <laughs> Uh, according, to, okay, according to Julia Dewan, a religion reporter for the Washington Times, more and more evangelicals are in fact fleeing their churches. Indeed, Miss Dewan regards church quitting, at least among evangelicals, as nothing less than an epidemic. The problem, in her view, is not in the souls of the church quitters, but in the character of the churches they choose to leave. Quote, something, she observes, is not right with evangelical church life. Let me read that again. Something is not right with evangelical church life. That's Julia Dewan, who wrote the book called Quitting Church. The faults she points to rely on her own reporting and survey data and are many. They are surprising, too. Running counter to the stereotype of evangelicals bonding happily in their churches, she reports, among other things, a lack of a feeling of community among church members, inducing loneliness and boredom. Church teaching that fails to go beyond the basics of the faith or to teach members grappling with suffering or unanswered prayers, pastors who are either out of touch with their parishioners or themselves unhappy or who fail to shepherd their flocks. Hmm. That's interesting. She's... <laughs> the Wall Street Journal is reporting on a book that's saying that people are leaving churches because shepherds are not shepherding their flocks. <clears throat> there is doubt, some truth... There is no doubt, some truth in what Miss Dewan reports, but is there truly an epidemic of church quitting? She says that evangelical churches, which for decades increased their numbers at impressive rates, are today growing only appreciably. If so, church quitting may be one reason, but so too may be the undisputed demographic fact not explored in quitting church that evangelical parents are having fewer children these days. Maybe the reason why you know churches aren't growing is because uh, Christians aren't producing. If the trend of Miss Dewan describes is not as big as she thinks, her concern is still understandable, though, the Wall Street Journal reports. It's truly disturbing to some of us, anyway, to hear of a longtime church, uh, churchgoer decline, deciding to stay home on Sunday mornings and read the Wall, uh, New York Times, or to hear of best-selling evangelical author quitting his church and arguing that leaving the institutional church is something that mature Christians would do. Whatever the, uh, the incidence of church quitting is, it is not a happy development for those who regard public worship as essential to the Christian life. It's interesting. According to Ms. Dewan, churches dedicated to making disciples will do, uh, do well in the area of, uh, in, 
will do well in this area of dumbed-down, purpose-driven, seeker-friendly Christianity. (laughs) Okay, so apparently, according to this book, people are leaving churches, and it's the mature people that are leaving churches, which kind of leads to these these questions. One of the things I I do is I'm I'm an observer and researcher, uh, pertaining the uh, the purpose driven uh, church model as well as the seeker friendly or seeker sensitive model, and uh, Dewan's uh, right on on point when she talks about the fact that there's something not right in evangelical church life, and that there's a lack of feeling of community among church members that's leading to loneliness and boredom and church teaching that fails to go beyond the basics or to reach members grappling with suffering or an answered prayer. That's one. That's see. That's one of my major concerns. Um, for instance, let me give you guys an example. There's a lot of these uh, seeker-sensitive churches. These are, are planting congregations, and then what they're doing is they're going with what's called a multi multi-site uh, model. And the multi-site model basically works from the idea is that uh, we're gonna we're gonna open up a new campus, but it's going to be the same set of pastors running it. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna pipe in the sermon via uh, via television monitor or um, you know, or uh, record an earlier service and play it via DVD. Can a pastor really say to, could it be said that a pastor is really shepherding his flock? When you go to church and you get a rock and roll show and a television screen pastor preaching to you, you know, that to me just completely keeps you just about as lonely as cyberspace. I mean, God created us to be in community and to be in fellowship with one another. And um, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to use a really, really gross metaphor here. I apologize ahead of time. In fact, go ahead and write down uh, the, the email address. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com because I know what I'm about to say is going to offend some of you. Please feel free to email me and say you were offended. Okay, I'm serious. These multi-site uh these multi-site places where the where the the message is piped in is about as real as internet pornography is to sex right think about it you're not really having a relationship with the image on the screen it's just a digital illusion is it not you and you don't have a relationship with your pastor either when his message is piped in via television monitor from you know some other campus he doesn't know your name he doesn't know who you are it's like the it's like the church version of pornography it's not real it's not a real relationship it's not a real shepherding thing that's going on here and i think doing is catch is is picking up on some of this stuff and not only that when the only thing you're doing is preaching sermons with the idea that you're you're going to make it as appealing and as as possible, so that people can can apply these things to their lives and make their make their lives better. Well, I'm sorry, but these lollipop solutions that are being promoted in many of these churches are shallow and vac- vacuous. It's just ridiculous, and it doesn't deal with the really hard edges and the sloppiness and messiness of real life one of the reasons I'm very excited about the fact that I attend a church where there's less than 300 members. I actually know the people I go to church with. I'm friends with them, have meals with them. 
And my pastor knows who I am by name. He visits my house. And if there's a problem, I can actually reach him on the phone. And and I don't have to go through some some voicemail switchboard or anything. He knows who I am, what I'm going through. He knows when I'm up. He knows when I'm down. He actually takes the job of shepherding me seriously. And it's real. Uh, yeah. He wants, let's see, that's right. The uh, the purpose-driven people say, well, I just need to get into a small group. Yeah, so I can sit in a small group and pool my biblical ignorance with other people who have been. Uh, what does this verse mean to you? How does it make you feel? How can you apply this? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> nice nice try, though, John. Anyway, so uh, the Wall Street Journal yesterday has this article worth looking at called Quitting Church. In fact, I'm going to have to read this book. I'm, if, I, if, if I like what I read, I might have Julia Dewan on the program, see if I can't get her to come on the air and uh, talk about her findings. What's going on in the church? Why is it that the mature Christians are leaving in droves? Well, because there's something seriously wrong in American Christianity. One of the reasons why we have, <clears throat> excuse me, fighting for the faith. <laughs> okay. Um I'm going to start to set this up before we go to our break. And um, warning, uh, just so you know, we might go a little bit long today. You know, what's funny is, is I've actually received a few emails from people saying, you know, Chris, why don't you just do two hours? <laughs> you keep pushing over the, the, you know, the top of the hour anyway. You might as well just go for it. <sighs> I don't want to. <laughs> See, that's the thing is, is I don't if I if I don't officially make it two hours, then I don't have to prepare for two hours because then if I prepare for two hours, then I'm going to want three. You know, <laughs> yeah, it will <laughs> call it extra innings. Oh, man. Yeah. Today, uh, fighting for the faith is going to be going into extra innings. Um, where do I start with this? Uh, talking about what's really going wrong in Christianity, uh, I've got a great example. We're going to be doing a little bit of a listen-in on some on a sermon here. And th- there's really two that I could pick from that are just stellar. In fact, I might do both. Not today, but I might pick up the other one either tomorrow or Friday. And uh, this is the Oaks Fellowship. And um, this is the—I don't know—excuse if, 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 um, me. <clears throat> I stumble over my lips. This church, um, they've actually have an exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry regarding their, um, they did a sermon series on reality TV shows, and they did Fear Factor, Dancing with the Stars. Yes, you can go to this church and you can live out your fantasy of Dancing with the Stars, The Biggest Loser, and uh, there there was another one. But uh, this is from this is that same church, and um, they just finished up. They're in Red Oak, Texas, by the way. The Oaks Fellowship in Red Oak, Texas. They just finished up a four-week sermon series um, called "Theologians for Your Noggins." And uh, <sighs> let me read to you what this sermon series was about. This is that from their website. Lessons are most often learned when our imagination is engaged. Probably no one understands this better or more or had a more profound effect on generations of children than Dr. Seuss. Many of the more than 40 books he wrote have incredibly deep spiritual parallels. In this series, we will rediscover four classic Dr. Seuss stories and learn the practical biblical truths found in them. 
We're going to exegete Dr. Seuss stories now in church? The four stories that they exegeted were Horton Hatches the Egg, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, Oh, The Places You Will Go, and The Sneetches. I don't know why they didn't pick Hop on Pop or Green Eggs and Ham, which is one of my all-time favorites. <sighs> you know, they just... I'm not making this up. This right now is the is the top exhibit in the Museum of Idolatry at a little com, as of today's airing of the program. Theologans for your noggins. And so just to give you an example of what's really going wrong in the Christian church, and I wish I could say that this is an isolated incident. This really isn't. I can go to you know, this the Oaks Fellowship is one of the churches that's on my list of churches that you know that, that I watch and listen to just to see what they're up to because they tend to be doing their own things, and uh, they're growing, and, and other people are are modeling what they're doing. Um, so today we're gonna we're gonna look at their Horton hatches an egg sermon. We're gonna we're gonna start to listen to that, and uh, the and the reason why we're gonna go long is because they it takes them a little while to warm up. But either tomorrow or Friday, I have to make a decision. We're, we're going to pick up on the uh, Oh, the Places That You Will Go sermon. And the reason why I'm picking that one is because it's one of the quintessential quintessential examples that I have seen lately of how these purpose-driven uh, churches are preaching this, this message that God has this profoundly deep and, and important mission for you to accomplish. It's like, you know, it's like this, the TV series Heroes. You got these ordinary people who all of a sudden discover that they have these incredible powers. <laughs> and now good and evil fight for the, for, the, for the balance of the planet. You know, it's that kind of preaching. I kid you not. Um, so in case you, you know, or how does Joel Osteen put it? Discover the champion in you. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to sing to you guys. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to go to our break. We'll be right back. If you would like to email us, email us talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And if you would like to subscribe to our podcast, you just go to fightingforthefaith.com. You can click, click on the subscribe button. You can do so in iTunes or directly on the website. And uh, we'll be right back. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put God. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry, 
are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll, I'll come in again. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh... Expects. Uh, expects. No, nobody expects the, um, purpose-driven... Inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven Inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do... Chief ex- weapons are... Our chief weapons are, um... Purpose. Uh, uh vision Okay, and- okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick... Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> well, you know that... Uh... That book about Yertle the Turtle, you know, pride cometh before a fall, right? See, that means that Dr. Seuss was a Christian. Who needs the Bible? Bible schmeibel. We can get biblical principles just about anywhere, including Dr. Seuss's book. Without any further ado, this is the first sermon from the Theologians for Your Noggins. Sermon series. Uh, this one's on Horton Hatches the Egg. And, uh, of course, as usual, I'll chime in as needed. But uh, the ser- just so you know, the sermon itself kind of starts off with a little video um, clip. And uh, what I want you to listen for is as as we get into this, they're going to actually read portions from the uh, Horton Hatches and Egg. The uh, And you'll hear what you're going to hear is they're going to handle uh, the reading of Horton Hatches and Egg much more reverently than the actual Bible story that they're going to <clears throat> reference later. Um, without any further ado, I think we're going to get right into it. Here we go. Theologians and biblical commentators throughout history have sought to capture the attention of children everywhere. I remember back with my dad as a kid, he'd read to me at night. We'd get under the covers, you know, with a flashlight, and he'd read the great commentaries to me. And man, I soaked it in, especially the pictures. There are many writers that impacted my life, but probably there's no other that impacted me more than Dr. Seuss. 
I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dr. Seuss, a theologian? Yes, you got to admit, the guy is thinking brilliant, you know, and he's written over 40 books. And as you read the books, you know there's deeper meaning to him than just what's on the surface. Yeah, if, if there's deeper meaning if the only thing about it is moralizing and being a good person and not beating up on other people or killing trees and, you know, thinking you're better because you're a star-bellied sneech. Many of them have deep spiritual parallels, and so... Dakota and I have answered the call of God to immerse ourselves in all things Dr. Seuss by coming out to Orlando, Florida, Islands of Adventure, Seuss Landing. When you think of Dr. Seuss, you think of wildly imaginative characters. This one has a long neck. Joe's got some boing yo. Looks like this guy. Yes, this is actually a sermon, folks. This is the beginning of the sermon. This guy's got some water to point. This guy with the mustache is looking all right. This one's all wet. That one's too blue. Don't look now. There's thing one and thing two. Wow, those really are cool characters, son. So what are these biblical stories, Dad? I mean, which ones are they? Yeah, well, you know most of them. You know, like, we just don't think of them as biblical stories. Kind of like the one with... That's because they aren't. Horton. You mean Horton Hears a Who? Yeah, well, like Horton Hears a Who, but it's the same Horton, but a different book. Like, it's Horton Hatches an Egg. You ever heard of that one? Oh, you mean the one where Horton sits on an egg? That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's like an elephant sitting in a tree. It's hunched over. You know, he's so heavy sitting on an egg. You mean like the one you're in right now? Uh, oh, yeah. well, yeah, like this one. Horton Hatches the Egg. And I'm bored, and I kinks in my legs from sitting, just sitting here day after day. It's work. How I hate it. I'd much rather play. If I could find someone, I'd fly away. Then, Horton the Elephant passed by your tree. On the river, and that's the one, the one, the one. Nothing to do, and I do need a rest. Would you like to sit on the egg in my nest? Me on your egg? Why, it doesn't make sense. Your egg is so small, ma'am, and I'm so immense. I'll hurry right back. Why, I'll never be missed. Very well. Since you insist, I'll stay and be faithful. I mean what I say. Toodaloo! Sang out Maisie and fluttered away. Then carefully, tenderly, gently he crept up the trunk to the nest with a little egg slip. And he sat all that day, and he kept the egg warm, and he sat all that night through a terrible storm. Yes, this is a sermon, folks. This is all part of the sermon from the August 10th, 2008 worship experience. That's what they call him. At the Oaks Fellowship in Red Oak, Texas, this is the sermon. And then came the winter, the snow, and the sleet, and icicles hung from his trunk and his feet. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, 100%. Gazoon <laughs> 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 time.
But while Horton sat there, so faithful, so kind, three hunters came sneaking up softly behind. He heard the men's footsteps. He turned with a start. A rifle was aiming right straight at his heart. Did he run? No, not Horton. He stayed on that nest. He held his head high. He threw out his chest. And he looked at the hunters and he said, plain as day. Shoot if you must, but I won't run away. We'll take him away. Why, he's terribly funny. We'll sell him back home to a circus for money. Sold to a circus, then week after week, they showed him to people at ten cents a peak. Dawdling along, way up high in the sky, who, of all people, should chance to fly by? And she swooped from the clouds to an open tent door. you before. Poor Horton looked up with his face white as chalk. He started to speak, but before he could talk, there rang out the noisiest ear-splitting squeaks from the egg that he'd sat on for 51 weeks. My egg! My egg! But it's hatching! It's my egg! You've stolen it from me! Get off of my nest and get out of my tree! Poor Horton backed down with a sad, heavy heart. But at that very instant, the egg burst apart. Then Horton the elephant saw something whiz. It had ears and a tail and a trunk just like oh, his. Goodness. My gracious! Good heavens, my word! It's something brand new! It's an elephant boy! Wow, that was a great story, Dad. I know, I love that one. And Horton is such a great example of the faithfulness of God, you know? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Couldn't do that from the scriptures, could we? No, we need uh, Horton to uh, teach us about the faithfulness of God. <sighs> Isn't that an awesome trip they got to take? That would be so fun. And I have been so looking forward to this series, Theologians for Your Noggins. We've got to say that. All right, ready? One, two, three. Theologians for Your Noggins. Okay, that was about 12 and a half people. How many of you know that part of our life in the faith of God is referred to as having childlike faith? So th- that means that we need to focus on children's stories in order to find our biblical inspiration. That's what that means? How many of you think that sometimes we get way too serious as adults? And we need to. Yeah, my, my problem is I don't think you're taking God's word seriously enough pastor just relax don't we okay so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna say it again theologians for your noggins only this time i want you to do this theologians for your noggins and i want you to turn to your neighbor look them in the eye and go theologians for your noggins ready one two three theologians for your noggins okay now turn to your other neighbor all right ready theologians for your noggins you know what? I saw three or four of you not participating. And I want to let you know right now that we are videotaping this service. And devils from the pit of hell will come. They will sweep you out of your chair. I'm going to give you one more try. And I'm telling you, you think I'm joking. Hey, we're doing theologians for your noggins until everybody does it. You ready? One, two, three. Theologians for your noggins. 
Okay, I saw you. You did it that time. That's good. I was a little worried about you. I am so excited about this series. In fact, for the next four weeks, we're going to be doing these parables of Dr. Seuss. And the coolest... Couldn't they do the parables of Jesus? Didn't Jesus tell parables? Those aren't relevant anymore. This thing that you may not know is the first time in the history of the Oaks Fellowship what we do in here is being replicated in kids' church. So everything we're doing here, they're doing over there. Oh, great. They're indoctrinating their children with false ideas, too. So you're going to have a conversation starter today at lunch because you can have your kids sitting around a table and you can really impress them because we're not telling them that we're doing it. So you can go in and start talking through Horton with them and they're going to be like, wow, Dad, you're pretty cool. So you get your chance, all right? Wouldn't that work if, like, I have an idea. Why don't you have uh, the children attending the uh, service with their parents and actually opening up the Bible and, you know, maybe going to, you know, Genesis. You can read the story of Abraham or Moses and Exodus or, you know, even the story of Samuel and David and Saul. And How about Jesus and the apostles? Or you can read, you know, about Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And if you had your kids with you, you'd all be hearing from God's word. But the good news is, is that even the adults and the kids together are both going to be getting Dr. Seuss stories. So when you say, you know, what did you guys do today in church? And they start talking about theologians for your noggins. You can ask them the appropriate questions. Pretty cool. Oh, 12 of you again. Come on. Okay, I've had it. Does anybody want this? If you want this, jump up right now and I will throw it to you. Get back down there, man. Man, my arm is now gone. (laughs) Yes, used to play Mr. Baseball. Okay, that's good. All right. A lot of you don't know that Theodore Seuss had a last name. His name was Geisel. Theodore Seuss Geisel was born... March 2nd, 1904, in Springfield, Massachusetts. He was a children's book writer. He was also a cartoonist. And he was very well known because he came up with these really imaginative creatures that he would make. How many of you have read Dr. Seuss or you've read him to your kids? That's what I thought. I mean, it's amazing how popular he's been. And he would make up words. Have you ever been reading those, those books and all of a sudden you'll get to a word and you're like, ah, I've never seen that. He made them up. And he had all these interesting things, these shapes and these colors. And didn't the media team do a great job putting these together? I mean, just amazing. And I'm just so grateful that we have a team like this. But what Seuss was able to do is he captured the imagination for several generations of parents and kids. In fact, do you realize that he not only personally wrote 40 children's books as Dr. Seuss. He had two other pen names that he used, and he wrote a total of 60 children's books in his lifetime. He sold 222 million books worldwide, 15 different languages. Did you know that out of the 100 most popular children's books that have ever been written, out of 100, Dr. Seuss has 16 of them. How many of you think some people have read Dr. Seuss? 
You see, what we want to do in the next four weeks is to begin look at, looking inside His work. Now, I want to tell you from the very beginning, we haven't been able to find anywhere that He describes His work as being Christian-focused. Then why are you reading and exegeting these stories in a Christian church? Has Dr. Seuss now supplanted the Word of God? Are we to go looking for spiritual truth in our kids' books rather than in God's Word? Uh, I have to read this. Um, <clears throat> add a little context to this. Let's see here. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter four, verse one. Boy, this is this is becoming the soapbox I have to stand on. I have to keep coming back to this one. Paul writing to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to come to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Hmm. Preach the word. First Timothy chapter 4. Verse 13, Paul writes, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. You know, there is not a single passage of Scripture that you can go to where the apostles or the prophets or God himself exhort Christians to go and delve into this biblical principles found in outs- outside of Scripture. Who cares what Dr. Seuss wrote? Who cares if there's moral messages in it? Whoop-dee-doo. You know what's missing from Dr. Seuss's books? Jesus Christ. That's who's missing. That's why they're not Christian. We preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins. I've only got so many hours in a day. I've only got so much time that I'm going to spend in church on a Sunday. You know, I attend church. If I attend church every single Sunday, that's 52 Sundays a year. I'm there to hear God's word and to receive the sacraments. I'm not there to be entertained. I'm not there, and neither should you be there to be entertained. You're there to receive God's word and the sacraments to hear of God's mercy and forgiveness won for us by Jesus Christ. This stuff is a distraction because it points us, doesn't point us to Christ. It points us away from Christ. And here's the deal. After a long work week in the trenches of working and serving my neighbor in my vocation, a week worth of sin, I need the message of the gospel. I need to hear that my sins are forgiven. I need to hear what Christ has done for me. I need to hear the refreshing words of from God's word. These people are not feeding 
or refreshing the Christians who've attended or who are attending church. They're giving them something else. And we're not pastors are not charged with doing this. They are charged with preaching the word. But of course, that's not relevant. The unchurched are not interested in God's word. We have to draw a crowd. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to starve God's sheep to death. And we're going to entertain goats into hell. We don't see his, uh, his books being overtly Christian. But how many of you know that you can, when you look f- through the lens of faith, that you can begin seeing what's really going on maybe behind the scenes that is not coming at you directly, but sometimes coming around the back door, have you discovered that sometimes writers and filmmakers and videos sometimes bring spiritual truths into your life that you didn't see coming? Well, we really believe over the next few weeks, we're going to convince you that Seuss may have been more biblical and more theological than you ever knew before. Who cares? Preach the word. So tonight, or today, rather, we're going to be looking at this first book, Horton Hatches the Egg. Now, a lot of you know that there's a new movie out, uh, Horton Here's a Who. Is that the name of it? Is that right? How many of you have seen that? It's only sold, I mean, it's only made about $200 million around the world. So, But this is the one that predated. It was actually written in 1940. And it talks about this amazing character, Horton. It's this elephant, this huge elephant that has a big heart. And he's walking through the woods one day, and this bird named Maisie looks at Horton and asks Horton if he would come up and sit on the nest and be a caretaker of this egg because she said she's tired and she needed to go on a vacation. And sure enough, he didn't think he was really built for the task, but he did it because he felt sorry for Maisie, and he climbs up into this little tree. Now, this is the part I want you to pay real close attention to. He's being very careful to relay all of the details of the story of Horton Hatches the Egg. And look at what reverence he's doing it with, how he's built up Dr. Seuss's stories. And we're going to teach you, we're going to show you that maybe behind the scenes through the lens of faith that you can see the deeper spiritual meaning. And so the treatment that he's giving of this story, I mean, he's conveying it almost with the same reverence that you would expect a pastor to uh, relay a biblical story. Pay real close attention to it, because uh, in a couple minutes, we're actually going to hear a biblical story and see if they treat it with the same amount of reverence. Just compare it. And he positions himself on the nest with an egg. And what he does, what Horton does in this book is extraordinary. He's exegeting a Dr. Seuss story in church. Because in the book, it talks about how he endures this terrible storm. The rain comes down and he stays faithful to being seated on this egg. It poured and it lightning. Horton isn't real. The stories in the Bible actually took place thundered it rumbled sue says and then it was winter time and icicles hung from his trunk and his feet but the elephant was faithful and then in the springtime horton's friends gathered around and they shouted and they said look horton the elephant up in the tree they taunted they teased him they yelled how absurd old horton the elephant thinks he's a bird 
They laughed and they laughed and then they all ran away. He's reading this like a Bible story. It is absolutely angering me. Well, hunters came when they saw Horton in the tree and they aimed their guns right at Horton's chest. And Horton stayed on that nest. Shoot if you must, but I won't run away. I meant what I said and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, 100%. And the hunters decided right in that moment not to shoot Horton. They got an idea. We can make some money off of this. We'll sell him to the circus. So they take Horton down to the coast and they put him on board a ship. Rolling and tossing and splashed with the spray. And Horton said, day after day after day, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. But oh, am I seasick. 100%. Then he was sold to a circus. He was seated in the tree on the egg. He traveled all over the country. And everywhere thousands of folks flocked to see and laugh at the elephant up in the tree. Poor Horton grew sadder the farther he went, but he said as he sat in the hot, noisy tent, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful, 100%. You know what? Faithfulness is a big deal with God. Yes, it is. It really is. And see, that's the thing. None of us are. You're not faithful, I'm not faithful, and daily we sin much. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was perfectly faithful for you, even to the point of dying on a cross. The King of kings and the Lord of lords took your sin upon himself and atoned for that sin The sins that you committed yesterday, the sins that you committed today, and the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow and until the day you stop breathing. Christ was perfectly faithful for you. That's the gospel. Let's see if that he gets to this. If you think about it, all the way through Scripture, there are people that are highlighted as being faithful men of God. Let's see. Noah was a drunk. Adam... Eve ate the fruit. Moses was a murderer. Abraham, um, had he, well, he had kind of had an episode where he didn't have faith. That whole Hagar thing. And see, David was a murderer and an adulterer. Um, yeah, faithful. In fact, in Hebrews chapter eleven, we have a whole listing there of people that are called faithful servants of God. No, that's the great hall of faith. Those are the people who had faith and trust in Christ. It's not about their faithfulness. It's about the object of their faith, which is Christ. Just a little correction there. Sorry. Well, it was just a couple of weeks ago, Marlene and I decided to drive over to the kids' camp. It was up north, about an, about an hour and a half north, and we, we arrived there. Just a reminder, we're going into extra innings here today at Fighting for the Faith because Chris can't seem to contain himself, and he wants to get all of this in. Stay with us. Only to find out that Dr. Seuss is not the only one who has created odd, interesting characters. 
This is where you want to pay real close attention. Stay with me for a few minutes because they're going to have an odd character dressed as a zucchini-ish kind of Zeus, Dr. Seuss kind of character come and tell you a Bible story. And I just want you to parallel this. Compare the way the story that you're about to hear, compare it to the way in which the pastor delivered uh, the Horton Hatches an Egg story. He read it as if it was a Bible passage. Let's see if uh, this character does the same. And we discovered that right in our kids' ministry program, we have the great zucchini. Let's give a big hand to the great zucchini. Oh, whoa. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay, how's everybody doing this morning? Are you doing good? Are you doing really good? Okay, good. Um, my name is Greg Zucchini, and um, this is my pet, Daisy, and her name is Rose. And um, I like to tell Bible stories, and um, sometimes I mess up, and uh, Rose helps me, and she tells me when I mess up. And what she does is when I mess up, she wilts, okay? So, would you guys mind if I tell you a Bible story this morning? No, please, feel free. Can't wait. Love hearing stories from freaks dressed like zucchinis in church. Okay, okay, here we go. Here we go, okay, I gotta get ready, hold on. I'm going to tell you a story today about... Moses. Ah! Okay, not, 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 not Moses. I'm going to tell you a story about Abraham. Go skinny, go skinny, go, go, go skinny. It's your birthday. Get your game on. Oh, oh. No. <laughs> Just remember, he's actually reading a Bible story to her, telling you a Bible story at this point. Notice the reverence with which it's delivered. I mean, it almost parallels the same reverence that we heard Horton hears it, uh, hatches an egg from the pastor. So we go to the story of Abraham. Abraham was really old and he couldn't have babies because um, maybe that was Abraham's baby. I don't know. Abraham couldn't have baby because he was old and he had a wife. Her name was Sarah. And she was really old. And, but God said, I will give you a son. Well, God was faithful to his promise and a miracle happened. Sarah got pregnant. They had this baby that was promised to them. His name was Isaac. And Isaac got older. He grew up. And one day, uh, Abraham was walking along. And, and all of a sudden, he heard a voice. Ow. Abraham, this is God. <laughs> I want you to take Isaac and go to Six Flags. 
and get up on the big rise and go. Yes, this is a Bible story spoken with the same reverence in which the pastor read Horton hatches the egg. Oh, not, not, uh, that's not what he said. He said, Mo, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to give him to me as a sacrifice. So go zucchini, go zucchini, go, go, go zucchini. It's birthday, get your game on. Oh, oh. No. <laughs> Please note, I did not edit any of this. You're hearing it exactly how it's presented on their website. <sighs> So Abraham loaded up Isaac. They chopped down some wood and they started off on their journey to Mount Moriah Carey. And so then they got to Mount Moriah. Okay, sorry. It was uh, Mount Moriah. And they started going up Mount Moriah and Isaac looked at his dad, Abraham, and he said, um, Hey, Pops. Um, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Son, God will provide. And so they got up to the top where the altar was. And Abraham, who loved his son so much, was obeyed God and took Isaac and laid him on the altar. And he raised his knife and said, Isaac, I am your father. Uh, no. <laughs> and so, Abraham raised a knife and he was just about to take his son's life when all of a sudden, we heard a voice. Stop! In the name of love, before you... Bang! Okay, and so, so he, he stopped... And God told Abraham not to do it. And he said, it was a test. And you have been faithful to me. I have been faithful to you. And you know what? God may test you. And he will find out how faithful you are. But we can be faithful to him because our God is faithful. And he won't ever fail us. We can trust in him. And be faithful 100%. And that, my friends, is the story of Abraham and Isaac. I'm just going to stop right there. By the way, this method of doing church doesn't produce disciples. We look at Granger Community Church. 47% of the people at Granger, this is not Granger, by the way, but Granger was one of the major purpose-driven churches, and uh, the Oaks Fellowship follows their model. 47% of the people at Granger don't believe in salvation by grace. 57% do not believe in the authority of the Bible. 56% do not believe in that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And you wonder why. I bet you they have probably similar stats over at the Oaks Fellowship because I don't know what they're preaching. I don't know what that was. It was blasphemous. When we come together as the church, we come together to hear God's word, to receive his forgiveness, 
Take the sacraments. Taste forgiveness in your mouth if you would. We come into the presence of God. There is no holiness, no fear of God, complete entertainment-based, method-based malarkey is what we just heard. Let me circle back. Sunday Morning Staying Home, the book Quitting Church by Julia Duin. According to Julia Duin, a religion reporter for the Washington Times, more and more evangelicals are in fact fleeing their churches. Indeed, Miss Dewan regards church quitting, at least among evangelical, as nothing less than an epidemic. The problem, in her view, is not in the souls of the church quitters, but in the character of the churches they choose to leave. Something, she observes, is not right with the evangelical church life. She knows it. She's nailed it. It's true. It is time for Christians to stop putting up with this garbage and calling it church or calling it evangelism. It is neither. This is an abomination. How do I really feel about it? Thanks for staying with me. As Chris Roseborough stands out in the square, pours gasoline on himself, and catches himself on fire. You've been listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. You can email me and sound off and let me know if you think that... Uh, Dr. Seuss should be exegeted in church services. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com is my email address. Till next time, God bless you.